Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning, and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes. And for the next few minutes, I'm going to ask you to stay with me. 30 minutes of motivation, inspiration, a little bit of education. And you know the drill, we don't have any manipulation because we are not trying to sell you anything. This is not an infomercial. This is not a way that we're trying to get to recruit you. We're not going to ask you to do anything except listen. Listen as I try to verify and identify God's plan for your life. If you can do that, if you can listen for the next few minutes, you may be able to orient and adjust to the plan. But now that's up to you. God gave you free will, freedom of choice. You can listen or you can turn away. It's up to you. This radio show is different from most other shows. It's not dialogue. It's not a call-in. It's not a talk show. It is just me simply talking to you, giving you short biblical principles, concepts, that are designed to enlighten you, to encourage you, and to challenge you to follow God's plan for your life. So thank you for listening. Thank you for staying with me over the years. It is my prayer that God will continue to allow me to do this for a long time to come. Every now and then, it's necessary that we go back and review some principles, review what got us to where we are today. And that's what I'd like to do, if you don't mind, for the next few moments, I'd like to remind you of the concept of the flat line. The name of the show is The Flot Line, F-L-O-T. And if you've listened for a while, you know that means the forward line of troops. You know that it is a military analogy to the military establishing a main line of resistance whenever they move into hostile territory. And that main line of resistance keeps the enemy from overrunning the command post. Well, as Christians, we live in hostile territory. This is not our home. Our home is heaven, or as the Greek New Testament prefers to call it, Uranos. That's heaven. We are headed there. The Bible says we are sojourners here. And while we're in the devil's world, we must have a main line of resistance to keep the forces of Satan from overrunning the command post of our soul. The command post of our soul is our mentality. It's what we think. And that's why the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. The spiritual life that we talk about so often on this radio show is lived in your thoughts, in your mind. That's where it's lived. Now, yes, it does come out in your actions, but the real you is what you think, not what you do. I mean, you can go to church and you can act holy and you can say, praise the Lord and amen, brother. But if the inside doesn't match the outside, then you're just faking it. And so the real you is what you think. And that's where God has the edge on this because he can look into the heart of each one of us. The scriptures tell us that. He knows what we think, that he was around before we were even created. Therefore, he knows also what we're handicapped with. We are handicapped with a genetically formed old sin nature. That came from Adam when we were born. The minute you and I were born, we were born with a sin nature. The Bible declares that by one man sin came into the world, and now death by sin, and it's passed on to all men. 
for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So you know that because no one sat you down and taught you how to lie. No one sat you down and taught you how to get mad. No one sat you down and taught you how to take some other child's toys. You see, even a child can do wrong things, and no one trained him to do that. And that's why parents have to discipline their children and teach authority orientation, teach them not to take the other children's toys, and teach them not to do certain things because they're, they're impetuous. It's the same way with us as Christians. We're impetuous and we move into sin quite often. Paul said it best in Romans 7 when he said in verse 15, I don't understand myself at all because I want to do what's right, but inevitably I wind up doing what's wrong. And he said it's clear that it's sin in me. Yes, we all have a genetically formed sin nature. We're all part of the Adamic race. That sin nature comes through the male, through the man. It's passed down from generation to generation. And that's why it's so unique that Jesus Christ, the anointed Son of God, our Lord and our Savior, had no man involved in his birth. Had Joseph had anything to do with the birth of Jesus, then Jesus would have inherited a sin nature just like you and I have one. But he did not. He was the second Adam created without sin. And he never sinned. He chose never to sin. That's why he was the spotless Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. Had Christ sinned one time, then he would be just like you and me, a fallen man. But he never did. And so as we're in the devil's world, as we operate in this angelic arena, God has equipped us and given us wonderful problem-solving devices. And those problem-solving devices allow us to keep the enemy's forces at bay. Remember that Ephesians 6 says Satan has an operating system. The Bible, Paul says, we're to put on the armor of God in Ephesians 6 so that we can stand against the strategy of the devil. The strategy of the devil means that he has a strategy that is designed to defeat you. That strategy can use distraction and discouragement in your life, but eventually it will wind up with defeating you. And thus there's a plan for you not to be defeated. And that's the protocol plan of God. The protocol plan of God provides opportunity, encouragement, empowerment for you. And if you live under the protocol plan of God, then you can be victorious in the angelic conflict. The protocol plan of God starts with you following strict procedure. Now listen, God has protocol. And this shouldn't be strange to you. I mean, if you want to walk into the White House and shake hands with the president, that's just not going to happen. There's protocol that must be followed. And in heaven, if you think you're going to walk up and slap God on the back and say, hey, God, it's me, Herbie, I made it, it's not going to happen. There's protocol. We're talking about God. There's protocol. Protocol means that a right thing simply has to be done in a right way. And so if you were in the military or if you were an athlete, you know about protocol. You have to do the right thing in the right way. And the right thing in the right way for the Christian is true as well. 
And this is where we've missed it today in Christianity, is we fail to teach the protocol plan of God. We've gone more to ritual, and that has no reality to it. Ritual without reality is simply meaningless. But if we understand the protocol plan of God, then we know, first of all, that no one can approach God other than through Jesus Christ. That's why Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's the only way. And so God demands protocol when you approach him. That's why the Bible says he that knew no sin was made sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God through him. You cannot approach God without having absolute righteousness. And the only way you're going to get that absolute righteousness is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. He who knew no sin was made sin for you so that you might be made the righteousness of God through him. That's as simple it is. And so you have to understand that if you want to have fellowship with God, you must have equal righteousness. God is absolutely righteous, plus R. You don't have any righteousness. The Bible even says it. There are none that are righteous, no, not even one. So how can an unrighteous person have equivalent righteousness to God? There's only one way, through the cross of Christ. Again, he who knew no sin was made sin for us, so that we may be made the righteousness of God through him. Do you hear that? Now, if you follow the protocol plan of God and you come through Jesus Christ, then you can have fellowship with God. You're adopted into the royal family of God. You're heir to all that Christ is heir to. You're a member of God's family. Now, it means you have eternal life. That means you have an inheritance in heaven. That means you have operational assets here on this earth now as a Christian and a believer in Jesus Christ. But the Bible also says, unto whom much is given, much is expected. As long as you're on this earth, you have to understand the operational procedure. Right thing must be done in a right way. That's what the protocol plan of God means. So if you're going to be an advancing Christian, there are two verses you need to remember. One is study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And another one is grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are two mandates for every Christian, study and grow, study and grow, study and grow. Study is not easy. Study requires some time. God has set up a system whereby you can learn his plan. He has given you a Bible. He has given you the Holy Spirit. He has given you qualified pastors. So as you take your Bible, as you are filled with the Holy Spirit, as you sit under the authority of a qualified pastor, you can grow. You can learn. Now, if you think you can just take your Bible and you can go out in the middle of the woods and sit under the oak tree and watch a squirrel and read a verse in the Bible and you think you're going to grow, you're kidding yourself. The Bible is not a novel. The Bible is not a feel-good devotional book. The Bible is a textbook. It is a textbook. It is God's game play book. It is the plan of God for you. It must be taught to you. If you don't understand what's there, 
you wind up doing all the right things in all the wrong ways. And that doesn't glorify God, and that doesn't get you any rewards in the end. So you want to do the right thing in the right way. There is something in the Bible called evil. And a lot of people miss this, and let me remind you about this. For the Christian, we have to stay out of sin because sin quenches the Holy Spirit, and sin grieves the Holy Spirit. But there's also something else called evil, and this is in the world today. Evil is the genius of Satan, and it's very easy for Christians to get sucked in to manufacturing evil. Let me tell you what evil is. I'll start off by saying that all sin is evil. All sin is evil, but not all evil is sin. Did that confuse you? All sin is evil, but not all evil is sin. What exactly is evil? Well, God's grace is his genius. So, the plan of God is grace. Living grace, saving grace, dying grace, surpassing grace. And Satan is a counterfeiter. He's always been a counterfeiter. And so he counterfeits the plan of God by producing works. And so grace says, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God and not of works, lest anyone should brag about it. But evil would say this, for by grace are you saved plus giving up peanuts giving up marshmallows, giving up whatever. You see, evil takes truth and twists it. This is the genius of Satan. Satan knows a lot of Scripture. He even has men in pulpits around America. He even has his own communion table, the Bible says. Look it up. You'll find it. Yes. Ministers of Satan who teach doctrine of demons, the Bible says. And it's all evil. It's not necessarily things that you may think it is. It's taking the Word of God and twisting it to make it sound like one thing when really it's not. For for example, here's one of the most evil things out there today. It involves giving money. If you think giving money impresses God, or if you think that giving money gets you closer to God, that's a terrible mistake. In the Old Testament, there was something called the tithe. And everyone in Israel tithed. Everyone did. Everyone did. They gave 10% of their income to maintain the temple and the priesthood. Today, we brought that ritual over into the Christian life. And we've demanded that Christians tithe to show that they are good, spiritually mature Christians. The Bible doesn't tell you that. The Bible says, give as God has prospered you. And so you... You may be giving 10% of your income and think that you are doing a good thing. Well, it's not a sin to give. Never is it a, a sin to give. But you can do the right thing in the wrong way. And if you think in your mind that tithing is getting you closer to God or tithing is making God somehow or another show favor to you, then you don't understand how God works. You don't approbate God and tentilate God's emotion by tithing. And I've heard people actually say that since I started tithing, 
I started making a lot more money in my life. Well, maybe so. Maybe Satan set you up, suckered you right on up. Now you go around telling people that if they tithe, that God will bless them. Listen, God will bless you whether you don't give a nickel or a dime. It's only the local institution that demands that you give money to support the staff of the institution. That's fine. If you want to give money to your church, that's fine. But understand the motivation behind it. As God has prospered you. Not being coerced. I've actually seen people and churches that sit down and look at members' uh, finances and decide among themselves what different members should be able to give. That's a violation of privacy. When you give, it's private. It's between you and the Lord. And what you give is between you and the Lord. So I don't mean to get on all this sort of stuff, but this is a prime example of evil. Taking the truth and twisting it can go into many other areas. Evil is unbelievable. It's always out there. Evil in salvation is faith plus works. You remember in Galatians when Paul went in and led so many people to Christ, and it wasn't long the Judaizers followed him. And they began to tell Paul's converts that they should be circumcised. They should follow the ritual of the law and be circumcised. And Paul got really upset when he heard this. Circumcision doesn't make you a good Christian. Circumcision is not necessary to advance spiritually. And yet that's what these Judaizers were telling these converts. See, legalism is always putting chains on you. Legalism will tell you, if you want to be a good Christian, brother, don't smoke. Well, the Bible doesn't say don't smoke. The Bible says don't harm your body. Legalism will say, if you want to be a good Christian, brother, don't drink. Well, the Bible doesn't say don't drink. The Bible says don't get drunk. These are sins. But then when we take these things and twist them, and we add these ritualistic rules and laws, the next thing you know, we're into evil. And the next thing you know, we're perpetuating the idea that I'm a good Christian because I tithe and I don't drink and I don't smoke. That's not true. That may be something that a good Christian does. Yes, I'm not arguing that. That's not how you become a good Christian. Remember those verses, grow and study? To be a good Christian simply requires this that you stay filled with the Holy Spirit 24-7 or as much as you can. And how do you do that? Well, rebound, problem-solving device number one. That's how we start it. Remember 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's two things there, sin and unrighteousness. When you name a known sin to God, not only are you cleansed from the sin, but you're cleansed from the unrighteousness. The word adikia in the Greek New Testament means wrongdoing. It's you operating independently of the Holy Spirit in a lifestyle that is antithetical to the protocol plan of God. The wrongdoing is evil. Evil is spirituality by means of emotion Spirituality by means of ritual, spirituality by means of works. It's the wrongdoing or the adikia in this Greek word 
that insults the grace of God. A lot of Christians may sin and then try to make it up to God. That's wrongdoing. That's evil. Grace says just simply admit the sin. And he's faithful and he's just to forgive you. This was true in the Old Testament in Psalm 32, 4 and 5. It's true in the New Testament in 1 John 1, 9. It's true. You cannot have fellowship with God with unconfessed sin in your life. Why? Because you quench the Holy Spirit and you grieve the Holy Spirit. And I know you say, I can't remember every sin that I do. Heck, nobody can. You name the ones you're aware of. God will even cleanse you from the ones you don't remember, I assure you. But a right thing done in a wrong way is evil. The wrong procedure, the wrong time, the wrong place, it's evil. When you use rebound, when you confess your sin to God, you can recover the filling of the Holy Spirit, you can restore yourself to fellowship with God, and you can resume your spiritual life. And if you don't understand this, if you don't use this problem-solving device, you will never be able to execute the protocol plan of God. You will always be trying to do a right thing, and inevitably you'll be doing it in the wrong way. See, you'll be involved in evil. Evil. You know one of Satan's greatest ploys to get Christians distracted? It's to clean up the devil's world. Yes, God never called us to clean up the devil's world. God called us to lift up Jesus Christ and let him draw all men to himself. And we do that by replicating his lifestyle, letting the mind of Christ be in us, representing Christ to our friends and our family. But cleaning up the devil's world? That's not your job. So when someone tells you that we're going to go down and march at the liquor store or we're going to go down and march at the uh, girly store or we're going to go down and straighten up the devils. That's not your job. That's evil. That's Christian crusaderism. See, this is where Christians give everybody a horrible name because Christians assume that this would be a better world if they could control it and get everybody to stop sinning. That's not what the Bible says. You're never going to get everybody to stop sinning. You're never going to straighten everybody out. And so if you get this idea that you're a great Christian because you do something like that, let me show you the extremes of that thinking. One of the biggest controversial things in America today is abortion. And so you get some fanatical Christian who thinks that he should go shoot and kill the abortion doctors. Well, that's murder. God doesn't condone murder, and yet in his mind, he justifies why it's okay, because he says it's a sin to commit abortion, and so this doctor needs to be murdered. Don't fall into that sort of trap. Don't fall into that. Don't get involved in killing people in the name of God and thinking you're doing God some favor. There are a lot of things that are wrong with America, yes. There are a lot of things that are messed up in America, yes. There are a lot of laws and procedures that we allow that are not right, yes. But that doesn't mean God sent us to straighten it all out. What God sent us to do and allows us to do is to grow in grace, to represent Christ, 
to replicate his lifestyle so that when others see us, they see Christ. And what is the one thing that other people saw in Christ? Well, they saw love. Love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. They saw love. They saw encouragement. They saw forgiveness. What do they see in you? Hatred. You hate the politician that's running the country. You hate the criminal that did this. You, you're, are you full of animosity and bitterness and hatred and, quote, all in the name of God? You've got it backwards. The Bible tells you that you should love your enemies, not hate them. The Bible is explicit about that. The Bible says if you say you love God and hate your neighbor, the truth is not in you. How can you love God you've never seen when you, when you hate the person you're looking at every day? So what if your neighbor is one of those people we've been talking about, one of those people you don't like? How can you love him? This is a tremendous, tremendous test for Christians unless they know problem-solving device number six and seven. Personal love for God, impersonal love for others. It is possible to love the worst, most evil person in this world using impersonal love. After all, didn't God love you before you even got saved? What, were you a saint? You were a great person? You think God saved you because you uh, deserved it? Now, you were dead in your trespasses and your sin. And God the Father sent Jesus Christ, his anointed son, to die for you, to take your place, to go to the cross and assume the penalty that you deserved. So where did all of this thinking come from? It's evil. It perpetuates our world today. You can't fall for that. This is not the way the Christian life operates. If you want to learn how the Christian life operates, then you must get under the ministry of a qualified pastor, one who will teach you the grace operating procedure of the protocol plan of God. You must stay filled with the Spirit. You must grow, and you must learn and apply what you hear. That's how you replicate Christ. That's how you represent him to the world. Not going out with vengeance, seeking someone to destroy in the name of God. No, that's not what God called you to do. Love your enemies as you love yourself. That's what God called you to do. It's a hard thing, and yet that's exactly what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did. What were the last words he uttered? On the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. What greater love does a man have than this, that he lay down his life for his friends? Jesus Christ, our Lord, even forgave those who crucified him. He asked his Father to forgive them. Can you forgive your enemies? Can you? The greatest evil in the world is vindictive bitterness and revenge motivation. Stay out of it. It is not God's plan. Till next week, this is Rick Hughes saying thank you for listening to The Flatline. 
Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.